go ahead and be seated. Thank you all so much. Um, as Pastor Malcolm has already made known, this is a very, very tough topic. I think in all my years of being in church, I've never heard someone preach a message just on this topic alone. Now, I've heard them bring it into the sermon they were talking about, about how pornography is an issue, how pornography is a problem, but never have ever sat in a church where they actually just presented the dangers of pornography. And, and so I, I felt it on my heart to do this for our students a couple weeks ago. And, um, and we found that a lot of the students, which you might be surprised, because we as, as parents like to think the best of our little angels, don't we? Um, but here's what I found is a lot of our small group leaders afterwards came and talked to me and they said they had no idea how invasive this was in our students, even in middle school. All right, they've already been exposed. They're already dealing with this. They're already seeing it. Uh, I, I talked to parents who said my 11-year-old boy was exposed to it on a school bus from an older kid on the bus who just pulled it up on their phone and said, hey, look at this. Wasn't even looking for it, wasn't even searching for it, and it was just kind of put in their face, and, and, and that's how he got exposed to this. And so it's in our face. It's everywhere we go. And, and so what I want to do today, my goal today is to help you understand the, the, the kind of the the terribleness of it, like Pastor Malcolm said, the pandemic of it, and maybe it will give you some tools on how to defeat it, but also, uh, I know, listen, I'm not ignorant. I'm not ignorant. I know there's people in this room today that are struggling with this. This is a secret shame, a secret sin that you've been battling with for a long time, and my hope today is that you get maybe some confidence to defeat this, and maybe you get some tools on how to defeat this, so I'm I'm kind of, I'm throwing out a lot of arrows today, if that makes sense. So when we look at the word pornography, it comes from the Greek pornographus, which basically means writings of a prostitute. And so pornography has been around thousands of years. This isn't a new issue. All right, this has been something that's been around for thousands of years. And, and what we have found is that um, statistically, and this, I, you, if you have a handout, you see these statistics there in front of you. Uh, these, these statistics kind of blew my mind. But every single second, there are 28,258 users watching pornography on the Internet. So almost every single second, there are 30,000 people watching pornography. Every single second, over $3,000 is being spent on pornography. Every single second, $3,000. Every single day, there are around 37 pornographic videos that are being uploaded to the Internet every single day. I think that's probably a little low. I think it's higher than that now. Every single day, there are 2.5 billion emails being sent and received containing pornographic material. 2.5 billion every single day. 68 million searches for pornography. That means somebody gets into their computer and searches for some type of uh, pornography. There are 68 million searches for pornography every single day. Out of those searches, 116,000 of them are related to child pornography. Because this is the trajectory that pornography will take you. What used to be rewarding and satisfying at the beginning is no longer rewarding and satisfying. So people begin to look at more erotic, weird, outlandish, fetish kind of stuff. And, and, and many will eventually dive into child pornography to try to find their fix. Like this is, this is the danger we're dealing with when it comes to pornography. Online pornography affects Americans. 200,000 Americans will be classified as porn addicts. 40 million people in America will visit a porn site sometime. 
35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. Everything, 35% of everything that is downloaded on your computer in America, uh, 35% of that is pornographic material. That's a lot. 34% of internet users have experienced unwanted, unsolicited pornographic material. So a pop-up ad, uh, a bad email link, one of those scam things, you click on it, it takes you to another website. 34% have experienced unsolicited pornographic uh, 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 watching and, and misdirected links. A third, a third of porn watchers are women. This is not just a male issue. All right, this is not just a problem that's plaguing our men. This is beginning to affect our women. Matter of fact, what, what they have shown is that the, the people who produce pornographic material realized they were missing a large margin of their market by not bringing in women. And so they started pr- producing and making pornographic material that would curtail towards women. So they're after you too, women. Now, I want to give you some t- uh, statistics about our teens. They had done some research, they asked some teenagers... And they found that 60% of teenagers said that they have viewed pornography during the school day and had done so several times a month. During a school day. 40% said they had done it at least weekly. 24% of boys looked at porn while they're physically in the school building compared to 20% of girls. Again, this is not just a boy issue, this is a people issue. 24% of boys looked at it while at school. 20% of girls looked at it while at school. Here's something else. You know those Chromebooks that they send home with your kids? 13% of those people interviewed said that they had used their personal devices from the school to look at pornographic material. So even though there's blocks and all these kind of stuff on the the stuff that reports that kind of stuff to the school system, there's workarounds, but sometimes they just don't care. And they'll try to look at it anyways. So they're using school-issued devices to look at pornographic material. Now, let me, let me give you some more statistics. They, they say one out of ten teenagers feel like porn, pornography is a bad thing. One out of ten. That means the other nine don't find an issue at all with pornography. You know why? Because they're so inundated with it. It's so available. How could it be bad if it's available? How could it be a bad thing if I can get to it? And they become numb to it. And so only one out of ten think pornography is bad. This speaks to a moral issue. This speaks to them not revering uh, the purity which God has a standard for. And so now, therefore, they don't even care anymore, and they watch it willingly. They don't think it's a bad thing. 90% of men and 70% of women reported accessing sexually explicit media on at least one occasion. Again, 90% of men, 70% of women. On average... This is why it matters to you, mom and dad. On average, the, the, the average exposure age for pornography is 12 years old. And, and, and research has shown that it could be as young as 8 years old. Right. I talked to a, a parent the other day who said they were exposed when they were 6 years old. Right, you understand we have a problem? I mean, are y'all, y'all seeing this? Y'all picking this up? The most common way for people to view pornography is this right here. of people said they watch pornography this way. Guess what? Nine out of ten teenagers have one of these. Pornography is mobile and is at your fingertips. This is what we're dealing with right now. This statistic blew my mind. Last year alone, on one single porn website called Pornhub, 
globally, collectively, there were 4,599,000,000 hours spent on that website. If you collect all the time around the world of all the people watching, it came out to 4,599,000,000 hours. Now, to put that into a different number, this turns into 525,000 years of content spent on one website in one year. We have a problem. We have a problem on our hand. And, and, and this is something we have to address. And you, have to, you, you know, you know your, t- your teenagers are curious. And left unchecked, they will do dumb things. We are aware of that. But I, I, I need you to understand that I have met with plenty of broken-hearted parents who this has turned into other issues where you have kids sending text messages and explicit photos of themselves to each other as young as 11 years old. 11-year-old girls sending explicit photos of themselves to other little boys. All right, th- this is progressing out of hand. And what I wanted to do, I wanted to invite someone on stage. Uh, this is one of our boys' small group leaders. Uh, his name is Jeff Lawson. Now, Jeff um, has a really amazing title. Now, Jeff, I didn't tell you this, but we're going to have to stay between the boundary lines so fair of you out there can watch and see you. Um, but Jeff uh, is one of our middle school boys' small group leaders. Now, Jeff, uh, tell, tell everybody what you do for a living. Okay, so um, crimes against, you say crimes against children. What do you spend probably majority of your time doing in that capacity? Majority of my time is spent um, interviewing, you know, obviously interviewing children, but uh, going through their Snapchat, going through their phone. Uh, most of what we see today is going on through Snapchat. There's, there's some different apps that they use, but that's primarily it. So a good part of my day every day, I had four cases last week, uh, is spent going through, uh, you know, kids' Snapchat. So. so for some people, think they think once you send something on Snapchat, it's gone forever. Is that true? No. Uh, once I do a search warrant for your Snapchat, I see everything that you've ever uh, sent, somebody's ever sent to you. You know, I know with kids today, and, and I, I don't know how many parents are aware of this, but, uh, you know, have my eyes only, which is kind of that secret thing that kids believe that they can, you know, hide their pictures and things in. That's not the case. When, when we do a search warrant, we get to see everything. Same thing for your phone. When I do a search warrant for your phone, I see every text message you've ever sent, everything you've ever received, every picture that you've, even if it's deleted, it's on that phone forever. So some of y'all may have not, may have not known that, and you're getting a little pale in the face right now. Mm. I see it. Um, now, now, one thing we talked about, one thing we talked about before is, is the 2 a.m. decision. Now, I want you to kind of explain what the 2A indecision is. When I do a, when I do a search warrant uh, and, and get that information, um, I go and look at the timestamp. And not only that, it, I can get the longitude and latitude. I can carry right to the, the place you were when you sent that picture or received that picture. But, you know, when I was in school, uh, we didn't have, obviously, social media, didn't have cell phones. And so when I went home on Friday afternoon, I didn't speak to my friends until Monday unless you had the, the old phone, which was in the, the kitchen of my parents' yeah. house. So uh, not, not much privacy there. But these kids, they're never disconnected. Uh, they're, 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 some of them are sneaking their phones at school. They're Snapchatting, and that's primarily what they do. They, they never cut it off. Uh, so, so they're doing it all day. They go home. It's on the bus. It's on the ride home. Especially if there's, you know, you discipline your child, you, you ground them, they, or they just go to the room and spend time in the room. 
And primarily, when you see those timestamps, it's after midnight. I call it the 2 a.m. decision because this guy, this predator, or just maybe your classmate, you've been, they, they're asking, they're, and they're, they're itching towards that bad decision. And it's just that one decision. You know, 12, 1, 2 in the morning, parents are in the bed. I've been Snapchatting for, for five, six, eight hours, and I make that one bad decision, and then they got you. And, and so I, primarily, I see a lot of that decision after midnight. So um, one thing you have to be aware of is there's predators anywhere your kids are. Okay, so whether it's a skate rink or a park or the fair or wherever, wherever it's going to be kids, there's going to be predators. And uh, one of the things that a predator does is they'll approach somebody and say, hey, can I have your Snapchat? And it might be an 18, 19-year-old dude, dude coming up to a 13-year-old girl. Like, listen, okay, girls, if you're in this room, you're 13, 14 years old, you ain't got no business talking to an 18, 19-year-old, that guy ain't got your best intentions at heart, I promise you that. And so uh, this boy comes up and says, I want your Snapchat. And you said that 2 a.m. decision, they, they send that picture or whatever that guy is asking for. And you said, now they got you. What do you mean by that? Now they got you. Well, and, and we get a lot of 13 to 15-year-olds. That's primarily a lot of cases that I work in. And, and it's these 19, 20-year-old, and I just call them predators. That's what they are. They don't, they don't care about those. But, but that girl thinks that's so cool that an that a 18, 19, 20, 25-year-old man would think that I'm pretty, and they don't, they, all I just want is, they just want that picture. Yeah. And once they send that picture, they've got them. They're, they feel trapped. You know, I, I was a school resource officer for six years before I took this job, and I would see those kids that are, that are regularly, they're, they're depressed. They have a lot of anxiety. They're, they're upset. And, and a lot of that is caused by this, and they feel that pressure. So once that guy gets that picture, he wants more pictures. That's all he cares about is more and more and more. I've even had a predator ask a 13, 14-year-old girl to go take pictures of your younger siblings with no clothes on and send them to me. That's how sick these folks are, and that kid is just wrestling with that because they know what they did is so wrong, and then they don't want to tell their parents. They don't want to tell their, their, their youth pastor or their pastor because they're ashamed. And so then it becomes you know, a lot of self-harm, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety that goes on. So it's a, uh, I've, seen, I've saw a lot of families very broken because of this. So what do you recommend for parents to do in order to safeguard their children? You know, you have to be so diligent uh, with, your, with their phones. And I'll say this, there should be no phones after you go to bed. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I've always said this, take your kids' phones, put them, put them charging in your room. Uh, there's, th- those decisions, a lot of those are made when the parents are in the other room. If they don't have their phone, they can't make that decision. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you have to safeguard it. Uh, you have to try to educate yourselves. Uh, if you have any questions, obviously, you know, you, Brother Andrew's got my information. You reach out to me, but you, you have to, to just treat it like you would anything. The most dangerous thing, some people are out there. Uh, we talked about it the other day, the devil's roaring line going to and fro, and he is, and he's wanting your kids. And, and so, so you have to be very diligent. Educate yourselves with those phones. Uh, you can put trackers, and I learned yeah. a lot just from, from your message about uh, accountability trackers and trackers on your kid's phone. It's your phone. You pay the bill. So put those trackers on those phones. Keep those kids and make them, let them know that you know. And, and right now it's, just, it's, way too, it's way too easy. It needs to be more difficult. And that's up to us as parents. Awesome. Thank you, Jeff. Yes, Appreciate sir. you. It's good to know you got people like that serving in TSM for your, for your young kids, isn't it? Um, so obviously we have to do something, right? We can't... We can't just be idle. You can't be their best friend, parent. They don't need a best friend. They need a parent. 
you need to step in the gap and, and, and make some intentional decisions on how you can safeguard your children because there's people out there after them. All right, so you need to do something about that. Quit being complacent. Uh, you've got to step in the gap and do something. Now, now here's what I want to change to. Because obviously I, I spoke at, in, a, in the beginning about how I know there's people out there fear of you. I know there's people here in this room right now, people watching online, that your secret struggle has been pornography for a long time. Maybe it's an on and off battle. You get victory, temporary victory, and you feel like you fall right back into it after a month or so, and you, you kind of, it's like a yo-yo, back and forth, back and forth. What I want to do today is I want to give you three myths about pornography. Because this is some of the things that people talk about when they talk about, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Um, and, and so one of the myths we talk about is, it, it doesn't really affect me. It doesn't really affect me. I, I remember my very first youth ministry, I had a, a college-age guy come up to me, and uh, he was just broken, broken over uh, his, his dealings with pornography. He says, man, I've been battling this for a long time. I'm just, I'm so sick of it. And I remember telling him, asking him the question that says, man, how is this affecting you? And he looks at me, he says, I can't even look at another woman the same anymore. He says, my, and this is what he says, he said, my, I feel like my brain is broken. And this is what pornography has done to him. They've done research that has shown that pornography causes depression, social anxiety, self-esteem issues, suicidal tendencies, loss of relationships, inability to concentrate. Your brain is completely rewired after viewing pornography. And Jesus spoke about this. I love how, how science catches up with the Bible. And, and Jesus spoke about this on a Sermon on the Mount when he's speaking about kingdom principles and he's speaking about, uh, hey, here's some things you've always known, but let me tell you in a different way. And he speaks about the issue of adultery. He says, even if you have lust in your heart, it's as if you've already committed adultery. And so what he's trying to help us understand is, is sex is just as much physical as it is emotional, social, and spiritual. And, and, and in a big way, your brain is going to be your biggest sex organ. Because that's where all the thoughts and all the capacity and all the drive comes from is right here. And so you read the Bible and you see it constantly where he's talking about protecting your thoughts. And so research has shown what happens when the brain starts viewing pornography. And so let me explain a little bit the best if I can. And we're going to get a little sciencey. But there is a neurochemical that God put in your brain called dopamine. Dopamine is a beautiful thing because dopamine is, is basically in the centerpiece of your brain known, known as the reward circuitry. And, and this is where you experience cravings, it's where you experience pleasure, and it's where you get addicted. And, and, and so the reward circuitry, it, it compels you to do things. It's your go signal, it's your go chemical. That's what dopamine is, it's your go chemical. And so dopamine is what motivates you towards pleasure and to pursue things. It, it is what tells you to go here, to not go here. And the bigger squirt of dopamine, the bigger you want that thing. So for instance, you take a bite of chocolate cake, Big old squirt of dopamine. We like this. We're going to do this again. You take a bite of celery, no dopamine. We're like, take it or leave it, throw it away, just I, whatever, you know? And that's how it works. Your dopamine, it tells you what to approach and what to avoid. It tells you what, what experiences to value. Does that make sense? And guess what the biggest spike of dopamine you can get is from? Sex. Sexual intimacy, sexual experience, sexual uh, uh, images. And so pornography will give you the biggest blast of dopamine there is. And your brain is saying, I like this. Let's do this again. And so that is your seeking signal. There's another part of the brain called endogenous opioids. The endogenous opioids is what is actually the pleasure chemical. 
And so it is what gives you that satisfaction, that euphoria, that pleasure feeling in your brain. It's like, okay, we really like this. And it gives you that, sat- that, that, that satisfaction. Now, here's the problem. The dopamine signals in your brain are stronger than the opioid signals in your brain. What that means is that you are constantly searching, but you are never satisfied. Y- y'all, y'all hear that? It means you're constantly looking for satisfaction, but you're not getting that satisfaction. Because there is another chemical in the brain called delta false B. Now, delta false B is what basically sets the baseline for your reaction to pleasure and danger. So let me give you an example. If you're in war and there's bombs exploding all around you, on day one, day two, day three of war, you're going to be a little bit jumpy. Every time a bomb explodes, every time a bullet flies, you're going to be jumpy. Because it's new. Your brain is telling you, run, run, run. After a week in war, all of a sudden the noise kind of drowns out. You don't jump as much when a bomb explodes in the distance. What happened? Delta false B has raised the baseline for your tolerance of danger. And so you don't react as quickly as you used to. Guess what? It also raises the baseline for your tolerance to pleasure. And so therefore, the things that used to satisfy you when viewing pornography no longer satisfy you. So you have to find other things to satisfy what pornography used to satisfy. Because you're so stimulated. Remember, the biggest blast of dopamine you get is from pornography. And so you've, so, you, you've just blasted your brain with all of this dopam- uh, dopamine and opioids that now your brain is saying, we've got we to raise the base a little bit because we're getting too much stimuli. And now you're no longer as stimulated as you was before, and that's where people begin to look at other things, such as child pornography, are sending and, and receiving illicit pictures from people that, the, that they don't know. You see the problem here? Your brain is completely redone after you start viewing pornography. And it, 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 it causes you to do things you wouldn't normally do. So yes, it does affect you. Pornography is absolutely dangerous to your brain. It will completely rewire your brain. Maybe the other myth is, I I can stop later. Listen, I counseled with a guy uh, a long, long, long time ago, and and he he said, man, I have an, an issue with pornography. But he says, when I get married, when I get married, it'll be easier. It'll get easier. Well, guess what? He gets married. He's still addicted. And he ends up sending some explicit pictures of himself to someone he's not married to. He gets discovered, and he's broken. Marriage is broken. Why? Because what used to satisfy him doesn't satisfy him anymore, so he goes on a search for other things. Just because you get married doesn't mean the addiction stops. Just because you get saved doesn't mean the addiction stops. Just because you get baptized doesn't mean the addiction stops. There, there, is, there is so many people I've counseled with, godly men, who have admitted time and time again, I have a pornography issue. Listen, pornography is not a respecter of persons. It will grab you at a young age and keep you bound. They have done, they have done tests where they have taken a, a, a drug addict, and drug addicts and, and porn addicts have very similar chemical makeup in the brain. And they've done autopsies. Nine days after that drug addict has died, they've done an autopsy on the brain and found that all the switches and chemicals in the brain are still set to addiction. Nine days after death. And so what a lot of research says is that it takes three months to six months for your brain to reset itself. You have to be completely, absolutely clean three months to six months for your brain to begin to start resetting yourself. 
And so what happens is we've developed like a worn down trail in our brain. You've seen these trails where there's like this, this dirt path and there's, it's been beaten down from people walking over it constantly. This is what your brain looks like when you start viewing pornography. It creates these pathways where all you want to do is this over and over and over again. And so you have to give your brain a rest to allow that to kind of reset back to normal. Does that make sense? So yes, it is dangerous and it is not going to be easier to stop later. Myth number three, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not hurting anyone. Listen, that is a terrible metric to justify your actions, by the way. I'm not hurting nobody. If I go around looking in people's windows and they don't know that I'm there, is that okay? No. You'd be like, you're a pervert. And you'd be absolutely correct. Just because I'm not hurting anyone doesn't mean it's okay. And I want you to understand that every single sin hurts somebody. Study has shown the top reasons for divorce are finances, online relationships, and pornography. That is is up there, top three reasons why people are getting divorced. Every sin hurts somebody. There's a lie that people like to talk about and they joke about and they say, hey, you know, it's a sin to look twice, so you better get a good look the first time. Or they'll say something like, hey, just because you're on a diet don't mean you can't look at the menu. And what they're basically saying is, hey, as long as I don't act on my thoughts, everything's okay. It won't hurt nobody. But I promise you that is a lie. The Bible speaks about transgressions and iniquity. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 18, it says, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity, forgiving iniquity and transgression. He, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers onto the children, third and fourth generation. Let me help you understand what transgressions and iniquity are. Transgression is an outward movement. Iniquity is an inward motivation. So let me help you understand this even more. A transgression would be stepping over a boundary line. It literally means to step over a boundary line. The English equivalent to that word is trespass. It tells you not to go this far, but you go that far anyway. That is what a transgression is, is an outward movement. Now, now, iniquity is an inward motivation. This is a bent towards sin, a proclivity towards sin. And so let me give you an example. Iniquity in this instance would be lust. But a transgression would be adultery. Does that make sense? Inward motivation, outward movement. And and so many people think as long as I don't go over the boundary line, I'm okay. It won't affect my family. It won't affect my children. But listen, listen to me, mom. Listen to me, dad. If it is in your heart, then it is in your home. It will affect your home. You may think you're getting away with it. You may think you're slick. You may think that nobody knows you're struggling, but there's something different about you and everybody notices. And if it's in your heart, then it is in your home. Iniquity is in your heart. Can I, I'm just going to be honest with you because it, 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 it does not benefit me one bit to be up here pretending to be something I'm not. And the reason why I'm so passionate about this issue is because por- pornography used to grab me, used to have me. When I was 12 years old, I was first exposed And it absolutely rocked my world. And I was stuck in it for a large part of my life. And it was brought into my marriage. All right, I'm just being fully transparent. Because I want you to know this is a me too kind of sermon. And so early in my marriage, I was trying to hide it. I was trying to pretend like it was okay, like nothing was really different. And then my wife 
found out. My beautiful, loving, godly wife. And it wrecked her. Destroyed her. And she would say things like, I can't trust you. And she'd begin to say, why are you doing this? Listen, pornography will wreck your home. And it will wreck your marriage. It will wreck your family. And so to this day, every single device that I have, I have accountability software on. Every single one. My cell phone, my iPads, my laptop, my work computers. Everything I have has accountability software on it. And if I look up any kind of word or any kind of phrase or any kind of website, my wife instantly gets an email. On my work stuff, Pastor Malcolm and Dustin instantly get an email. You might be thinking, well, Pastor Andrew, you're a pastor. You don't trust yourself? No. No, I don't trust my flesh. I don't trust it. I don't want to get comfortable in my flesh. I don't want to, pre- I don't want to make myself believe I can handle this again. Because I'll fail over and over and over again. And so I have to put safeguards in my life because, God, man, the enemy, man, he used that time in my life so strongly against me, making me believe God will never use me, making me believe I was broken beyond repair, and making me believe that I should just quit and do something different. God absolutely healed me, restored me, and put me on a straight path. And so now I want to testify to you in this room who are struggling that he can help you too. So, so listen, I'm not trying to be up here like I'm judging you. This is a concerned heart from a concerned pastor. Does that make sense? And what characterizes pornography? Listen, we've got to quit making loopholes. We've got to quit talking about stuff that, you're like, well, it's not really bad. Listen, if you've got an Instagram or a TikTok and, and it's completely flooded with half-dressed people dancing and posing in weird ways, that's pornography. If you're watching shows like Game of Thrones and it's basically glorified pornography and you're like, I just watch it for all the fight scenes. Yeah, right. Listen, quit justifying it. Listen, John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief cometh not, no, but, uh, let me say, the thief cometh, but for to steal, kill, and to destroy. Let me ask you this. If, if you got a knock on the door and you look through the little peephole and you see two ski mask guys there holding guns, would you let them in your house? Listen, if you've if you got an Instagram or a TikTok or a Twitter or a, a Netflix or a Hulu or a HBO or any of those other things where you're watching things that are not pornography but really are pornography, guess what you've just done? You have unlocked the door, opened it, and walked away. And you've allowed the thief to come in, steal, kill, and destroy. Because that's what he's going to do. It's porn. So how do we fight it? Paul uses the word flee over and over and over. Flee, flee. 2 Timothy 2, 22. Flee also youthful, youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 1 Corinthians six eighteen. He says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Listen, this is a fight. It's a fight of the flesh. But Paul says, he's not saying stay around and fight it. What does he say? He says, flee, run. Get out of there. We should never let temptation and opportunity meet. Temptation is always present, but we don't have to give it opportunity. And it's always 100% of the time going to be easier to avoid than to resist. And so he says, flee. Get out of there. Flee, preacher. Oh, well, you gotta, it's easier to avoid than to resist. 
Easier to avoid than resist. Do not put yourself in compromising situations. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, if you have a computer in a private place, put it in a public space. If you've got an issue with your cell phone, don't bring it to your room. Put some accountability software on this. If you've got some apps that are causing you problems, it's time to delete them. Listen, if you're a guy that travels a lot and you get in that hotel room and you're lonely and you're bored, you better find some place to put that phone. You better put your Bible on top of it so you've got to move the Word of God to get to it. You know what I'm saying? Paul goes on. He says that we should make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. Why is Paul so, so uh, given so much information about sexual immorality? Because sexual immorality will open the door to other sins. Sexual immorality opens the, the door to man, manipulation, deception, lying. It, it, listen, you have to be dishonest to hide and engage in sexual conduct. Whether it's pornography, affairs, whatever it is, you have to lie and be deceptive to do this kind of stuff. And so Paul says, flee. King David, when he was sexually immoral, what did he do to hide it? He committed murder. It opens the door to other things. And when you're battling porn addiction of any kind or sexual sin of any kind, you have to lie to your family. You have to lie to your spouse. It puts a strain in your relationship with God. And so many of you today have come here raising your hands but covering your heart. Because in a way you think that you're deceiving God and and pretending that this isn't really a big deal, but it is. Don't give any provision to the flesh, Romans 13, 14, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the less thereof. If Netflix is a problem, it's time to cancel it. If Instagram is a problem, it's time to delete it. If HBO is a problem, time to cancel it. If your smartphone is a problem, time to dumb it down. All right. You've got to make the proper steps in order to flee. Number two, don't look. Don't look. Impurity doesn't begin in the heart. It begins in the eyes. When you look at what took place between David and Bathsheba, when did it actually begin? Second Samuel eleven two it says that when he saw a woman bathing, it began in the eyes. When did Potiphar's wife decide to make her advances on Joseph? Genesis thirty nine seven says that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. When did Eve decide it was good to eat of the fruit? Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it begins in the eyes. This is why Job said in Job 31.1, he says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look, think upon a maid? In other words, why should I look upon a woman with lust? I have made a covenant with my eyes. That's why David said in Psalm 101.3, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. This is why Solomon, the wisest man, said in Proverbs 27, 20, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. It begins in the eyes. And so you have to train yourself not to look. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 28, he says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Jesus is showing a progression here. He says, you look, you lust, Adultery. If you don't want to commit adultery, then don't let lust stay in your heart. If you don't want lust staying in your heart, then don't look. You see it? Looking will empower lust. Don't look at porn. Listen, me and my wife, we get our phones out and we search. And, and, and IMDB, every movie we watch before we watch it to make sure there's no nudity in it. Know why? Because I'm an alcoholic in that area. And I don't even need one sip. I have to safeguard my heart and my thoughts and my integrity. And so we, I have to train myself not to look. 
I have to bounce my eyes. I have to think on other things. And, and thirdly, let me give you this. Struggle together. I know in this room right now, there are several who are struggling. I'm parking in your garage right now. You've been hiding this. You've been playing with this. You've been casually viewing this. And now someone's actually talking about it. After this, mor- after this message this morning, there's no doubt that God has put his finger on some of your hearts and you are uncomfortable and you're ready to go, but you're also ready to do something about it. Listen to me. If you're a married man in this room, listen to me, married men in this room, you need accountability. But one of those accountability partners needs to be your wife. Do you hear me? It needs to be your wife. I understand it's embarrassing. I understand it may break her heart, but she needs to know. And you need to confess it. You need to struggle together. Ladies, please hear me. If he comes to you and he tells you, I'm struggling in this area, please don't feel insecure. Please don't condemn him. Please don't feel unloved because what your husband is battling is not a love issue, it's a lust issue. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's a lust issue. Potiphar's wife didn't love Joseph. If she loved Joseph, she wouldn't let him sit in that prison for 13 years on wrong charges. She had a lust problem. And so when he comes to you and says, this is a problem I'm having, this is a struggle I'm having, basically what he is saying is, I have an unhealthy appetite that I never should have developed. And I'm struggling. That's what he's saying. Ladies, I'm a huge advocate that if your husband has a problem in this area, you need to be one of the safest places he can come to talk to. Now, men, sir, listen to me. She'll probably get to a place where she can forgive the problem with your lust, but she's going to have a hard time forgiving the lying. So you're going to have to be truthful and honest at all times. One of the main things I have to deal with in counseling with couples where there has been some kind of moral failure is, is a lot of times they, they'll forgive the moral act, but they still struggle with the deception. True. And so you need to be forthright and open. Are you hearing me? For those in this room who have no idea what I'm talking about, and this message has been awkward for you because you're thinking, I don't have this problem, then thank the Lord you don't. Yes. And ask the Lord to continue guarding your heart and your mind from this. But other people in this room, this has been right where you are. And maybe, maybe also it's motivated you to be a little bit more intentional with your kids too. Because seeing how the earliest exposure is around anywhere between 8 to 12 years old. And a lot of times it carries with them all, all the way into adulthood. That's a problem. That's a problem. But you need to know we serve a big, loving, and gracious God. And He can restore you. I've talked to young men who've looked at it a handful of times, who've been broken. I've talked to grown adults who've looked at it for over 10 years. And I've seen both of them get healed. Both of them get restored. Both of them get, uh, they're thriving spiritually now. There is deliverance for this kind of thing. You don't have to feel stuck. You don't have to feel stuck. And so what we're going to do here at Temple, uh, on your handout, there are some um, resources for software that you can download. I put it on your handout. There's, There's a slide up here. Now, some of these resources cost money. I'm going to put it out there. It costs money, about $7, $8 a month. And some of you are going to use that as an excuse not to do it. Ah, oh, $7 a month. Mm. What is it? To, how much does it cost to save your marriage? What's it worth to you? What's it worth to save your integrity? What's it worth to get you spiritually healthy again? Is $7 a month worth it to you? I think it will be. 
And, and some of this is they have family plans. You can get on every single device in your phone for like $12, $13 a month. Why not? That's like one Starbucks drink. All right, just abstain from Starbucks for one time and you can afford all of this. But also, also, I, I realize this too, that some of y'all are going to need some help and accountability in this area. So we're developing a class on recovery in this area. Now, I know this is an embarrassing, sensitive topic. And I'm, I, I'm guarantee you nobody's going to go out to 411 and say, I'd like to sign up for your porn class. I understand <laughs> that's not going to happen. All right. So we have made this available where you can sign up online there's a QR code you can scan. It's on, it's on your handout. You can scan that QR code. You can sign up. It'll take you to a link. And then I will follow up with you. And, and, and we'll talk about where we're going to meeting, be meeting and what time and all that kind of stuff. But listen, struggle together. Y'all remember that? Struggle together. If you're someone in this room who's struggling in that area, let's struggle together. Let's struggle together. Let's not be ashamed anymore. One of my favorite things to say is you need to bring people into places that you hide so you don't hide there anymore. If you bring light into the dark places, it's hard to hide there again. So let's, let's struggle together in this area. I'm going to invite Pastor Malcolm up on stage uh, to close this out. But thank you all, church, for allowing us to cover this difficult topic. Thank you so much.